Amen. Let's bow and pray as we prepare to hear God's Word. Father, we ask for the help of your Spirit this morning as we come to listen to your Word, that you would take seeds of truth planted this morning, that you'd bring them to bear fruit for your glory, the fruit of worship, the fruit of obedience, or the fruit of rejoicing and who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. So I pray you'd help us to listen. I pray you'd help me as your servant to faithfully preach your word, to say what I ought to say and to not say what I ought not to say, or to speak clearly that Jesus would be exalted. Lord, I thank you for the privilege it is to preach your word. Lord, I pray you'd remind me and stir up my spirit as I preach that I would rejoice in who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last Sunday in our sermon, I asked the question, who thinks about you the most? You remember the answer to that? Joe Mazzella remembers the answer to that. You remember who that is? It's you. We think about ourselves the most. I wonder how much we've thought about ourselves this morning. What we want, what we like, what we don't like. Insecurities often plague us. We're troubled in our mind about things we didn't do well from this past week, guilt. Guilt often is wrapped up in ourselves, what we didn't do. Pride, what we feel good about ourselves doing. We don't need any more help thinking about ourselves. We need a break from that. That's what the Spirit of God does. For those who put their faith in Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit, the moment of conversion. I love the picture of what the Spirit does amongst God's people in the local church. He turns us away from being a people who are looking inwardly at ourselves to look out, to love one another. And the picture of the local church, think about the picture of this local church, hundreds of members walking by the Spirit, looking around to love one another. That is a powerful witness of who Jesus is, the one who perfectly loved God and perfectly loved neighbor, and what He does in the lives of His people. There's a problem if we all come in looking at ourselves. Nobody gets ministered to. Nobody gets served. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we're transformed to look around, to look, to love, to serve, to give, to forgive, to forbear, to minister to, to care for one another. You know, one of the primary arenas that we live out loving relationships in the Lord is in the fellowship of the local church. But how are we specifically to love one another? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul addresses in Galatians chapter 6 as we look at that this morning. Let's take a look at Galatians chapter 6. Turn with me, if you haven't already done so, to verses 1 through 10 in Galatians 6. We're going to be uh, in that passage this morning, and the best way to follow along is to take a copy of God's Word to open that up. If you need to use that pew Bible in front of you, you can take that pew Bible, turn to page 975, 975, Galatians 6, 1 through 10 is where we're going to be. And if you've come this morning and don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you after you use it here this morning. Take it home with you, read it more, connect to someone who invited you this morning or a member sitting around you. We'd love to read God's Word with you. Let me read God's Word for us now, Galatians 6, starting in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The main idea that I want us to see in Galatians 6 this morning is this. The Spirit strengthens us to care for one another and to do good to all. The Spirit strengthens us to care for one another and to do good to all. We're close to finishing out this letter to the Galatians written by the Apostle Paul. In this final chapter, chapter 6, Paul gives these churches some closing directions. So he's in a, a section of commands and exhortations. And what we read here in chapter 6 is linked back to what we saw last week in chapter 5, verse 13 of walking by the Spirit. We live out our, our freedom in Christ as Christians. We live out our unity in Christ by lovingly serving one another. In chapter 6 this morning, we see that perseverance in the Christian life, it's seen in continuing to love others. So as we make our way, two parts to this outline this morning, two areas of perseverance in the local church. Number one, keep on caring for others. And number two, keep on doing good to others. Let's look at this first area of perseverance found in verses 1 through 5. Keep on caring for others. These first five verses, they focus on practically loving one another in the church. So a cultural sense of love is primarily a feeling, warm, fuzzy feelings. And it's great to have feelings. You should have positive, affectionate feelings towards other Christians this morning. But love is more than that. Love is practical. It's taking steps to love and to serve. And we see here this call to love and serve your church family. Now, you see in verse 1, the section begins with the word brothers, a familial term that means brothers and sisters. In other words, your local church is a family, a spiritual family. All of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ have been adopted into God's family. At the moment of conversion, when you repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were brought into a loving relationship with God, your sins forgiven, and you came to know God as your Father. You were reconciled vertically, first and foremost to Him, but also on a horizontal level, you were reconciled to brothers and sisters in the Lord. You gained a, a spiritual family. We may not share the same biological genealogy here in this local church. Some of you do. Most of us don't, but we all share in the Spirit of God, in our faith in Jesus Christ, and in the truth of the gospel. That's what our fellowship 
is centered around. Now, an essential mark of walking by the Spirit, it's seen in brothers and sisters caring for one another in the local church. In these first five verses, there's three terms that stand out to us, three different words that are used to help us know how to think about loving others. The first one is transgression, there in verse 1. The second is the word burdens in verse 2. And then load in verse 5, which has to do with your own load. But the first two are talking about others, transgressions and and burdens. That's ways we can think about caring for others. So, So first, we're to lovingly care for others who are caught in transgression or sin, disobedience to God. There in verse 1, brothers, if anyone, meaning anyone in the church, is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So if a member of your church is overtaken by sin, seen committing a sin, indeed caught, entrapped, entangled in sin, you need to care for them. Members need to care for other members. Now, this certainly doesn't mean that you're out there on the lookout to confront every sin you see around you. It doesn't mean that you need to be the sin referee here in the local church, throwing the flag and blowing the whistle, waiting for that. If, if, if that's your spirit, I think that's one of self-righteousness and pride and condemnation. So certainly it's not thinking about ministry like that. But if you see a brother or sister in the Lord caught in sin, meaning a clear, discernible violation of God's holy word, it is an exercise of love to care for them. Paul states there there should be an aim to restore a Christian who is caught in sin. That word restore means to repair, to put back in order. This word's even used of when a, a bone is broken that needs to be reset. If you break your nose, which thankfully I haven't done that, but if you've done that, you've probably had the painful process of going to the doctor and having them reset your nose in place that it might heal. That's the picture here is that when you get out of fellowship with the Lord, others need to lovingly help restore you. Now consider some wrong responses to a brother or sister being entangled in sin. One is to ignore the situation or to be indifferent to it. And that could happen for a variety of reasons. Uh, one could just be like, hey, I got too much going on in my own life. I, I just can't stop and worry about that person right now. Another is that you may fear rejection in that moment. You fear a, a bad response, so it's, it's just easier to keep on going. But ignoring the situation when someone's trapped in sin is not loving. Another wrong response is to think, well, I'm just going to leave this one for the elders. I mean, they signed up for this. They can deal with this. Uh, some of our pastors are paid. They're paid to do this. I really don't have time to do with this. This is something that that they need to deal with. But, but notice who should be the ones to restore. You who are spiritual. It's not referring to the elders. It's not referring to a, an elite group in the church of members. It's just referring to Christians. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're walking by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, well, then you need to care for other members and help restore them. It's referring broadly to members in the local church, which speaks to the responsibility that church members have to one another. Other wrong responses, you sure, certainly should not gossip about other sin 
and say, hey, I saw such and such out this week when I was out, and it looked like they had too much to drink. It's gossiping about other sin, not a right response. Uh, shunning someone or cutting them off, like, that's pretty bad what they did. I, I don't want to be around them anymore. That's not a right response. We're called to restore. And notice the manner by which this should be done in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness was just listed back in chapter 5, verse 22, as a fruit of the Spirit. And we should deal gently with those who are caught up in in sin. So a pattern of being judgmental and, and harsh towards the sin of others is not a sign of spiritual maturity. I think looking back to the chapter 5, we shouldn't be surprised about our own battles with the flesh. The flesh cries out all the time. I mean, the flesh cries out even when you're at church. Sometimes you may be sitting in church thinking, why did I just have that thought? I'm in church. The flesh cries out all the time. So it shouldn't surprise us in our own lives, and it shouldn't surprise us in our church that we're caught up in a war. And this war, the the battle of the flesh and the devil and the world, it, it attacks our fellow church members So we shouldn't be condemning towards others. And we also should recognize and be humble ourselves. Far too often we give in to the flesh. The manner is gentle. Now the warning there at the end of verse 1, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So when you're caring for someone caught in sin, you may be tempted to think too highly of yourself. The more you help other Christians grow, through sin, you may be tempted to think, they are a mess. Goodness. And I'm glad I'm not like that. I'm glad I don't struggle with these things. They are a mess, and I need a break from that. It's a temptation to think like that when you're helping other Christians. Well, keep watch over your own life is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Spiritual pride is a fleshly way to live. So in your efforts to help others, you too might fall into sin. Similarly, down in verses 3 and 4, Paul points out that those who are not concerned with helping others are caught up in pride. At first glance, you may wonder how these two verses, verse 3 and 4, are connected to what Paul addresses early on. Let's look here. Those who are proud, in verse 3, the one who thinks he's something when he's nothing, deceives himself. In other words, pride will keep someone from paying attention to the interests and needs of others. Pride is a poison to loving service to others. Furthermore, in verse 4, in helping others, you need to rightly view yourself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Again, there's this temptation to compare and to compete with others in the local church. Comparing is not loving. Competing is not loving. Or rather, we're called to restore those who are entangled in sin, carry the burdens of those that are around us. And instead of comparing yourself to others and feeling good about yourself, which is pride, or sometimes we compare ourselves to others and we envy them because we feel less than, so we either feel sometimes superior and sometimes inferior, instead of that rat race of back and forth between those two ditches, we're called to look away, to look up to Christ, and to extend that love that He's shown us to those around us. Rather than testing yourself by other church members, test yourself according to God's standards and His holy word. What we see here, part of the normal Christian life is caring for others. Now consider some examples of restoring other believers who are entangled in sin. If someone is giving themselves over 
to something like drunkenness, entangled in a sin, they're going to need help in that. They're not going to need condemnation or gossip. They're going to need help in being restored from that type of sin. Giving yourself over to pornography as a pattern in your life, you're going to need help. And that requires patience. Those things typically aren't resolved in the matter of one coffee at Starbucks. It's patient love and care, uh, concern, uh, perseverance, following through. There needs to be patient and ongoing help to restore someone who's caught entangled in sin. But let me mention another area that often gets overlooked, because I know we can think about those that are obviously immoral and overlook those, and those are important to consider, but also consider one that gets overlooked, non-attendance at church. I don't mean by that, like, oh, you're traveling this weekend, you missed two weeks out of 52, what's going on here? I don't mean that. I mean non-attendance. I don't mean you've left here to go to another gospel preaching church. Many of you will do that at some point in your life, whether you move away to another city or you stay here. Our, our covenant is not for life here. It's just that we'll join another gospel preaching church. I'm talking about, about people who have just stopped going to church, baptized Christians, members of our church, taking the Lord's Supper with us, who decide just to stop coming indefinitely. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 warns of this. There's a command to not neglect meeting together. And this area of sin far too often, I think, gets overlooked in churches. Certainly, you don't want to think about that. Well, I'm just going to let the elders deal with this. They can pick that up. I know they kind of track through these things. I'm sure they got it. I think it's something simple as just reaching out. Hey, I had not seen you around in a while. Is everything okay? Maybe they're sick and you don't know it. They haven't told anybody yet. And you could be the one that could go and bear that burden. But maybe they're not. Maybe they're in a place because often non-attendance it's not just I got tired and it's hard to make it to church. Usually it's I'm spiritually tired. Usually it's accompanied by I'm giving myself over to some other area of sin. Maybe they feel ashamed of something in their lives and they don't want to come here. And you reaching out, God could use you as the vessel to minister to them, to help restore them to the fellowship of the local church. There's all sorts of areas we can think about, but I would encourage us, be mindful of those ways that you can lovingly show concern for others. Well, what if someone refuses to repent of sin? Well, that's a different category. Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 goes into those who, when there's been efforts to try to restore them, they persist in unrepentant sin. Again, clear, discernible violation of God's Word. Well, don't confuse gentleness as withholding church discipline. We talk about this in our membership class. We teach on this. Uh, sadly, we have had to practice this at times. It's a loving action, according to Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, that if someone is caught up in sin and refusing to repent, not wanting to turn away, hear me, hear me correctly here. This passage tells us in Galatians, we should expect Christians will get caught up in sin. But you know the difference? Christians repent. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we will do some terrible things, but we'll repent. We'll keep repent- seeking forgiveness from the Lord. But if someone refuses to repent, it is loving to take action for the care of that person's soul, to not live a lie with them as if their fellowship with the Lord is in order, but rather to take the loving action towards church discipline. That's the final resort now. More regularly, Caring for others in the local church involves helping restore other church members who've been entangled in sin. 
Another way to care for others, so that was trespass, but we also see the word burden. There's overlap here between these two words, but they're different. Let's look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Burdens are our hardships that we face where we need help. Burdens are a heavy weight. And the implication there is that it's weighing you down and you need some help lifting that burden from other brothers and sisters in the Lord. So building on verse 1, a burden can certainly be when someone's caught in sin. I think there's overlap. However, burdens, I think, are broader than that. Broader than just the sin we struggle with. There, there are physical burdens, physical trials that we go through. Disease, sickness. There's financial burdens that we go through. Unemployment. Having a difficult time paying a mortgage or, or rent or paying our, our, our light bill. There are emotional burdens that we go through. We're struggling with anxiety and all different types of things emotionally. All sorts of practical burdens that we face that are heavy loads that weigh us down and wear us down. And the ministry of the local church is we're to be concerned with the burdens of others. We have our own burdens. We all do. And at the same time that we deal with our own burdens, we're called to show compassion and care to provide help with the burdens that our brothers and sisters in the Lord bear. Now, certainly Christians are called to regularly cast their own burdens to the Lord. We have that invitation, which is awesome, and the power of the Spirit to lay those burdens down. I would encourage you in your own prayer life, lay burdens down before the Lord regularly. Pray for your own soul regularly. It's a good thing to do. But do that first. And as you lay those burdens down, Don't stop there. There's an expectation that you would receive care from other members of your local church to help bear that heavy load. Now, the very nature of bearing a a heavy load implies you need help. You can't lift this or you can't continue to persevere in carrying this burden on your own, which shows us God does not expect us to carry these alone. Wonderful news. We don't live the Christian life alone. You don't live the Christian life just with your spouse. Your spouse should regularly help you carry your burdens. But that doesn't mean, well, this just stays in our biological family. There's a spiritual family to help you. It doesn't mean you just carry the burden with your roommates. Uh, Share your burdens with those in the local church also who can help you. Now, when a Christian bears the burdens of others, Paul says at the end of verse 2, you have fulfilled the law of Christ, a phrase that points back to what Paul said, which we looked at last week in chapter 5, verse 14, that the whole law is fulfilled in loving your neighbor as yourself. Well, Christian, I wonder what burdens you're trying to bear alone. Where do you need some help in lifting that heavy weight? I didn't ask you if you had burdens. We all have them. The young have them, the old have them, single folks have them, married folks have them, people with young kids that you're struggling to get them to sleep at night, you have them, and so do people who don't have any kids. People who appear to have large bank accounts have burdens, and those who have very little in their bank account have burdens. Sometimes we we live this myth where we think, there's those around us, they don't have burdens, and no one can understand what I'm going through. And friends, that's a poison that that draws you away from fellowship. Maybe somebody in this room hasn't experienced the same exact trial you're going through right now. Maybe they have and you don't know it, though. But everyone has trials and everyone has burdens. 
And we can share in the fellowship that Christ lifts our burdens and he often uses his people to share and lift those burdens. You know, you don't need to share your burdens with every single person. You don't need to post them on social media for everyone to see or to hear or to talk about. But you need to share them with someone. Is there at least one person in this local church that knows the burdens that's going on in your life? Uh, share those. Get, get help. I would suggest it's selfish to not do that. It, it's loving. And it provides other members an opportunity to love and serve you when you share those burdens. I'll say this. Part of the reason that our pastors stand at the door every Sunday, it's not just to, to say goodbye to people or greet guests. I'm usually down there to close to one o'clock because there's a lot of members that come over and they want to pray about something. So, so maybe give it the first 10 minutes when people are kind of filing through. But our pastors, were typically still there. And if we can pray with you about something, that's a wonderful place for you to come and be ministered to after the service or pray with another member there in the pew. I love it when I look around and see members praying with one another, lifting up burdens before the Lord. Also, you should assume that other church members have burdens. So a good question to regularly ask each other is, how can I be praying for you? How can I be praying for you? It's good also to ask, at least have one member of this church to ask you, how are you really doing? I was like, how are you doing? Good, good week. Nah, it's kind of hard, busy week. But no, how are you really doing? Who's that person in your life? Who, who can you ask that to in this local church? How can you lighten the load for other members of your church? Here's a couple suggestions. I mentioned already we, we pray for one another. We should encourage one another by the Scriptures. Then talking about the sermon is a wonderful way to encourage others. Asking good questions. Again, like, what's been hard in life recently? It's good to ask, hey, what's been sweet and what's been hard in life? Usually there, there's both. Another way is be a trusted friend. If somebody shares a burden with you, don't go gossip about that. That's a quick way to cut yourself off from ever helping somebody in this church. If you share something they've entrusted to you in confidence and you go and share that with others, be a trusted friend who knows how to keep that between yourself, the Lord, and with them. And then finally, when someone shares, follow up. Ask them, hey, you shared this with me. It could be a text. It could be a conversation next time. Hey, how's that going? How can I keep praying for you? Well, finally, we see the word load in verse 5. Notice that verse 5 is in the future tense. For each will have to bear his own load. This points to the final judgment. That's why it's looking to the future. As Christians, we all need help in bearing our burdens. We need to help others. But at the same time, we see in this verse that each of us is individually responsible to bear our own load. So there's an accountability that we have individually while we're also looking to meet others' needs. One day you will stand before the Lord, Christian. And you will bear your own load. What that means is give an account for your life. You can read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. The Apostle Paul says there, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He says we. Him, the Apostle Paul, you, me. Now this judgment, let's be clear, it's not a judgment of condemnation. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But that judgment that the Apostle Paul talks about is a judgment of accountability and blessing and reward. 
we all must carry our own load. We're responsible before the Lord to walk in obedience and worship and service to Him. This helps us understand we are responsible individually for ourselves before the Lord, and we are responsible to care for one another. In the flesh, we may be tempted to focus on ourselves too much, but in the Spirit, we're also called to care for others. Well, Christian, consider that Christian ministry is just extending the ministry you've received from Christ to others. Christ has loved and served you, Christian. Jesus is the chief burden bearer. He perfectly bore our sins, willingly laying his life down to die on the cross. He bore a burden that you and I could not bear on our own. He shed his own blood for our souls that we might be forgiven of our sin against a holy God. Christ rose from the dead on the third day, offering new life and restoration to anyone who would repent and believe in Him. And for those who put their faith in Jesus, we enjoy His ongoing care. He continually invites you to come to Him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and He will continually give you rest for your soul. And as we rest in His great love, we extend that love to those around us, especially to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Let's consider that in our second area of perseverance in verses 6 through 10. Verses 6 through 10, keep on doing good to others. This section of chapter 6 continues the theme of caring for other Christians. If you look down in verse 10, you see the phrase household of faith. Same idea as brothers and sisters. This whole section is about the community of the local church. The spiritual household of brothers and sisters in Christ living in covenant fellowship in the local church. And one important relationship in the local church is between the congregation and its pastors. Look in verse 6. Paul addresses this relationship. Let the one who has taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. The one who's taught refers to Christians, to the congregation, to, to members being taught the Scriptures. The one who teaches refers to pastors, elders, who are able to teach God's Word and build up the church. And what we see in verse 6 helps us understand the primary role and responsibility of a pastor is to preach the Word. That's not all pastors do, but sometimes maybe too much gets added to the job description. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul exhorted Timothy, preach the Word. Primary task, primary responsibility to do good to the local church, preach the Word. Pastors are to share the Word, and church members are to share something too. Paul says to share all good things, meaning material support to live, which means financial support. Now, another benefit of preaching expositionally is you, may not, you don't have to wonder, what is Dave talking about right now? Is this self-serving? You know, are we not giving enough right now? Well, no, it's just we're here in the passage. And, uh, and I'll tell you this, I think sometimes pastors shy away from these passages. I understand that there are health, wealth, prosperity preachers out there who can twist and distort passages for selfish gain, but I'm not going to let them hijack the message 
let's try to understand what God's Word teaches us. And this is one of those places we clearly see that churches should support their pastors as they're able. Let's consider this here. Pastors normally are to be supported by the generous provision of God's people in the local church. Again, this isn't the only place we see this. You can look in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. Paul says there, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. That's double honorarium. It's talking about financial payment, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So this isn't something that's like American, like Americans, you're so wealthy, of course you should pay your pastors. This is for all churches of all times in all places. We know there can be different challenges in any church's life, in any season, but this is the normal pattern of Christian ministry. So number one, if you're a member of this church and you're not giving financially to this church, normally that is disobedience. It's not just in our church covenant, so so we'll recite our church covenant, but this isn't just like some co-op where we made agreements to all chip in and give. The the church covenant really is meant there to, to sum up what God's Word teaches. And therefore, we're committing to what the Bible instructs Christians to do. What we read in verse 6 is a command. And so we need to be giving to our local church. Number two, let me say this. I understand that our local church is a generous church. This church has been very generous in giving. And I want to thank you personally for the ways that you give generously to this church, the way you provide for this local ministry, the way you provide for me. And for our other pastors, our church is doing a good job of this. And I am so thankful for that evidence of God's grace in this local church. On top of paying our pastors, we're able to pay other church staff that fill in support needs and ministry opportunities. We're also able to provide for this building that decades ago Christians paid money for these pews that you're sitting in. And we just got to receive that. And you give enough where we continue to maintain and repair this building. Even beyond ministry inside the walls of this church, you give money where we can give to missions and to church planting and to partnering with other churches. Let's keep being generous as a church that the Lord might use that to build up this local church and to spread the gospel. Now, when you put verse 6 in light of the context of the whole letter, remember, the Galatians were being troubled by false teaching. That was the problem in, in in the churches there in the region of Galatia. That was threatening their spiritual condition. Paul's really concerned about teaching in this letter, about false teaching. So therefore, he directs these churches to share what God has given them to provide for those who will share sound teaching of God's Word and build the church up. Sound teaching is what churches need because Christians can be prone to be deceived. That's what was happening again with those churches in Galatia, the false teaching they were being influenced by. And Paul returns to warning them in verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Don't be deceived by false teaching. God is not mocked, what Paul says, meaning he will judge you, he will hold you accountable you will reap what you sow. Now, sowing and reaping, it's a, it's a general principle. It's just a natural law of life. Some of you, you sowed seeds into your lawn this fall. And hopefully, you will reap a nice, green, lush lawn this spring that will endure the heat, the southern humidity and heat of summer. 
right? You expect when you plant grass seed, you will reap grass seed. There will be a harvest that will come a few months from now. But this principle we see throughout the Scriptures there, it certainly applies to financial giving. So 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the Apostle Paul says that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, talking about financial giving. So it certainly applies to that. But it applies to all sorts of situations. The Apostle Paul, I think he's shifting here from a financial concern in verse 6 to a broader concern for holiness in the rest of this chapter. What you sow spiritually, you will reap. He returns to the theme from chapter 5 of the spirit and the flesh. And he's saying you're sowing in, in one or of two places at any given time in your life. Either the spirit or to the flesh. So to the flesh, meaning those deeds of the flesh listed in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Sow seeds of the flesh, practice those evil deeds in your life, and you will reap. You will reap from the flesh corruption. Corruption is pointing to judgment from God. If you sow to the flesh as a pattern of your life, meaning you're living in the flesh, that reveals you do not truly belong to Christ, even if you call yourself a Christian. It's the warning here. Don't be deceived. You'll reap what you sow. If there is no evidence of spiritual fruit in your life, just the deeds of the flesh, that should cause alarm in your life. If you're here this morning and you call yourself a Christian, but you enjoy sin far more than you enjoy God, it may be that reveals you're living in the flesh. You're not living in the Spirit. I would caution you and urge you, talk to someone who brought you today. Talk to any of our pastors at the doors afterwards. We'd want to talk with you more about what it would look like to repent and believe in Jesus today, to be forgiven of your sins, to walk by the power of of the Holy Spirit. Now, we considered last week also that Christians will need to fight against sin. So, so with the, the change in metaphor here, in chapter 5, he's talking about fighting, and in chapter 6 here, he's talking about farming. So it's both a, a battle, but there's an opportunity to farm, to, to sow seeds. And I think this is important because we need to be on the guard as Christians to not be farming or sowing seeds of the flesh in our lives. Let me give you an idea. So just taking off of what he talked about previously, sowing seeds of jealousy. When you start to become jealous or envious of someone around you, if you keep up with that, that's what you're going to reap. There, there's a moment to say, Lord, like, forgive me for that thought. I want to be grateful for what you've given me. T turn my mind to think about something. In fact, I'm going to open up the Bible and I'm going to read the Bible right now. That's turning away from sin. But if you keep tracking with those thoughts, think about it like this. You're just sowing seeds of jealousy. You know what sows, sows seeds of jealousy? You know what they end up becoming? A harvest of ungratefulness. A harvest of discontentment. A harvest of bitterness. It's hard to love people that you're jealous of. It's hard to love other church members if you're envying them. You see, our spiritual condition is impacted greatly by what we sow. Sow lustful thoughts. Look at racy images on the internet. Give yourself to looking at pornography. To keep sowing those seeds, you will reap a spiritual condition of walking in lust. We need to be on the guard for this type of sowing. The flesh cries out, and you know what? It is never satisfied. 
The more you feed it, the louder it gets. Craving more, demanding more. But if you stop sowing seeds, I think you'll see it'll start to wither up a little bit in those areas. You're not fertilizing it, offering more seeds to grow. You're turning away to say, I want to sow seeds of the Spirit. I want to sow seeds that love other people. I've said this warning before, and we need to consider this warning. If you're snacking on sin, you should not expect to be hungry for righteousness. Sunday morning, indeed, when we take the Lord's table, it's a moment to confess and repent. We shouldn't be surprised that we have need to confess our sin here this morning. We should be thankful that the Lord's provided that opportunity for us. It's a new day. His mercies are new. It's a new week. And we engage that new day by sowing to the Spirit. Christian, what bad seed do you need to guard against sowing in your life? Well, you walk in holiness, your walk in holiness rather, it's helped or it's hindered by what you sow. There's another type of sowing that Christians will give themselves to, sowing to the Spirit. So in chapter 5, the exhortation was to walk by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. Here in chapter 8, the promise is that the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life, which means life with God now and forevermore in Christ. Those who've received eternal life through faith in Jesus will live out that life by sowing to the Spirit. Let's think about this. And Sowing to the Spirit. Consider the ordinary means of grace in the Christian life as sowing seeds into your life. Every time you open up the Word of God, it's sowing seeds in your life. Every time you humbly bow and pray in the Spirit, it's sowing seeds in your life. Every time you come to Lord's Day worship, there are just seeds being scattered in this auditorium right now. Seeds of God's Word, seeds of hope, seeds of the gospel. Seeds of prayer, seeds of joy in Christ, as we're reminded of who God is, what He's done in Christ, how much He's loved us in Christ, as we're reminded of the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to help us, indeed to cause us to walk in obedience, seeds of hope are being planted that will reap a harvest. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10, that that sin of, of giving up meeting together, what it does is it disconnects you from the source of encouragement and hope that we can continue to walk in as we face that day that we come to see Jesus face to face. Seed that will reap a spiritual harvest in your life is what you need to give your attention to sowing. Keep sowing seeds of God's Word and see what the Spirit does in your life. With that promise of eternal life, with God now and forevermore comes the encouragement. Keep on sowing the Spirit. Look at verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Farming is a wonderful metaphor for Christian ministry. It's a wonderful metaphor for laboring in the gospel, for this labor that God calls us to is hard work. So let me just say it, being tired is normal. It's not bad. Sometimes we have this American view, I need a new job because I'm just so tired. All our jobs are affected by the curse of sin. And sometimes we think that we're trying to find life in our job. Sometimes I wonder if I went and asked my grandfathers, they're not alive anymore, if I asked them, did you find life and hope and meaning in your work? They would look at me like, what are you talking about? I worked so I could provide for your grandmother and your, and your parents. 
Sometimes we make such a big deal out of that, and we're surprised when we're tired and work is, is hard. But let me, let's hear this clearly. The caution here is not against feeling weary. It's against growing weary. If we're not feeling tired, maybe it's because we're not laboring. So there's nothing wrong with feeling weary or tired, but growing weary means losing heart. It's the difference between being tired in the work and tired of the work. It's normal to be tired in the work God has given you to do, but we should guard against being tired of the work God has given us to do. It's normal to be tired in parenting. We need to guard against being tired of parenting. It's normal to be tired in helping people and caring for others. But brothers and sisters, we must guard against growing tired of helping people and caring for others, tired of sharing the gospel, tired of discipling people and not seeing the fruit that we're expecting to see so quickly. We're called to keep sowing good seed, keep sowing the word, keep praying, wait for the harvest. Now, you see in this passage, the condition of reaping is if we do not give up, implying there are times we're going to feel like giving up. And we need to guard against that and seek the Spirit's help and pray and ask others to pray for us. A wonderful way to help them bear your burden. Ask them to pray that God would give you strength to persevere. Make sure also that you think about reaping well. In verse 9, it says, we will reap in due season. I wonder how much of our problems in life are that we expect too much of reaping in this life. We love results. We like fast results. We like churches to grow fast. We like to get over our sins very quickly. We wish we could hear one sermon and things just be radically different in our lives. And sometimes the Lord does do that. Sometimes the Lord, He just chooses to work very quickly around us or in us. But normally what He does is this walk. It's just one step in front of the other. In other words, normally what happens in the Christian life is slow, steady progress. We fall. By God's grace, we get back up. We take another step. We hesitate. The Spirit of God keeps pushing us forward. It's not a sprint. It's an ultra marathon. It's a walk. And we need to be careful how much we think about reaping, primarily being in this life. Sure, we get tastes and glimpses of the harvest in this life. But this harvest language, I think, is primarily directed to the return of Christ. The Lord of the harvest who will finally gather up all the redeemed on that day that he surely returns. And how often do you and I look for that day before God's appointed time? Meaning we want to see a harvest in our own life today. We want to see a harvest in our kids' life tomorrow. And if it doesn't happen, we get discouraged. We want to see a harvest in the lives of people we're discipling like next week. And if we don't, we feel like we're done meeting with them because it feels like a waste of time. We all get there sometimes. We do. We get discouraged. We start to grow weary. We start to lose heart. And I wonder how much of it is because we're not looking to Christ, primarily to honoring Him instead of demanding results happening today or tomorrow. There will be some reaping in this life, but the greater reaping is yet to come. It's in the next life. Brother and sister, this life is for sowing. Keep on sowing. There'll be some reaping, but don't underestimate the power of sowing. That's what we see in the conclusion here. Therefore, keep, keep on. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Don't mistake waiting for inactivity. Waiting for the Lord involves working for the Lord. 
Do good to everyone as you have opportunity. What that means is there's those in proximity to you. So it's not if you have an opportunity. It's just look around in proximity. There's going to be opportunities to do good to all kinds of people in your home, in your neighborhood, to extended family, to coworkers, to wait staff at the restaurant that you visit. Please don't be a rude Christian to wait staff. Please be kind. Ask them how you can pray for them. Andrew Thompson, I did that this week. We went out to lunch. We asked our, 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 waiter, our waitress how we could pray for her. Struck up a little conversation, and she was happy to give us a prayer request to pray for her. Show kindness. Do good. Be salt and light wherever you go. See, see how giving yourself to that actually changes your own mindset about life. It is an honor to do good wherever we go. And waiting for the harvest involves doing good, especially to the household of faith, to your local church family. We could go on and on about what that looks like, practical needs. Come on Sunday night. You hear about a lot of those, how you can do good to others, how you can pray for others, how you can serve for others. But the exhortation here, keep growing, keep going, keep doing good. The reward that awaits all those who put their hope in Christ, it is not worth comparing to this present suffering, this present hardship that you and I face. This age is for sowing. May we ask the Lord for help to not grow weary. Let's do that now. Father in heaven, we ask for hope to fill our minds and hearts now as we come to the Lord's table. Hope that what you've already provided for us in Christ and accomplished through your son Jesus will be completed at his return, which we hope happens one day soon. And Lord, until that day that we go to be with Christ or he comes to be with us, we ask for help to persevere in doing good. In Jesus' name, amen.